Convicted and Convinced, a message from God's Word for you. A couple of weeks ago, Dan said, Rebecca, will you speak on the fifth Sabbath for me? I didn't say anything, and he said, well, I just don't want to put one of the elders on the spot. And I sat there, and I still didn't say anything. And I looked at him, but I was thinking, you know what I was thinking. So you don't mind putting me on the spot. Well, at any rate, I said, sure, Dan, I'll be happy to speak. And I am so happy to speak. And I had something I've been working on for, started two weeks ago when he asked me. And then Wednesday, the Holy Spirit just sort of changed everything for me. And it's generally not hard for me when I get up to speak on Alzheimer's. I can generally speak on Alzheimer's for hours, and I am so very comfortable. But I can tell you I am not comfortable this morning because there's just something when you speak about God and his word, and you just want everything to be right because you can't make mistakes with his word. It is time for us to rise up and shine, whether we believe it or not. Jesus is coming. He's coming back. And when we have studied our lessons over the last year, and we studied in, in Revelation, and we go back and study in Daniel and, and, um, and study about people like Moses, we find that God has always had people that rose up and shine when they needed to. We find many people that rose up and shine. Actually, there were 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament about the Messiah coming the first time. Everyone was fulfilled because he came in the form of a baby. There are 308 prophecies or mentions of the second coming in the New Testament. Now, if all those prophecies came true in the Old Testament, I think they're all going to come true in the New Testament and Jesus actually will come back. Moses rose up and shined for the children of Israel. After leading them out of Egypt, we actually don't know how many people he led through the desert, but we know that it, could have, that it was hundreds of thousands just in warriors. And we know that it was probably, could have been millions of people over the 40 years that he actually had ministered to in the wilderness. He pastored the largest church in the world in the middle of a desert. Isn't that great? God has no boundaries on who he can use and where he can use us. No boundaries. I love that. Well, they grumbled. They complained. They wanted to go back to Egypt. But Moses stayed the course. Out of all the men on the earth at that time, God chose Moses to do the seemingly impossible God was with Moses every step he took. When Moses died, 
he gently picked him up, buried him himself in the cleft of the rock. Now, I don't know, I don't know that there was a eulogy for Moses, but I think if God said anything, he only said seven words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It was a short eulogy, but it would have said everything that God felt toward his servant Moses. There were many others who rose up and shined for God. Joshua, he kind of picked up where Moses left off. Rahab, the harlot, what an unusual person for God to use in such a special way and in such a big way. Daniel, Esther, Jeremiah, King David, Solomon, Abraham, Mary, Martha, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And this is the short list. There's many, many others. God is looking for and expecting us to rise up and shine in our times. You may ask, how can I rise up and shine? We're living in some difficult, difficult times in the world we're living in. And it's not just in America, it's all over the world. Everywhere there's difficulties. Well, I thought of things that I, as I was praying and the Holy Spirit was working with me, here are some suggestions that I felt like would be good to help us to kind of understand how we can rise up and shine. One, be committed to the church. Hebrews 10:25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. Now, it's important for us to come together and worship on the Sabbath. It's very important. And you know, it's like, when I think of you, I think of you as my people. You are my people. And I told Dan, <clears throat> I was not gonna go away for two weeks anymore. <clears throat> and he said, why? And I said, because I missed my people. And I hope that I'm one of your people. <laughs> Thank you, everybody said that. Because when we come to church, we should build one another up. We should exhort one another in these times. We should know that if there's no one else in the world we can go to, to find fellowship and a kindred spirit and a light faith, it should be us in this church. We should be able to, if we're discouraged to go and sit down and visit and get encouragement from them. And that's one of the reasons God wants us to assemble, assemble on the Sabbath so that we can exhort one another. The Bible calls the, Christ, the church Christ's bride. We must care for her with our tithing, teaching and attendance. What a privilege we have in caring 
for the bride of Christ. What a privilege until he comes. I told my sister-in-law, we were talking about Jesus coming back while I was visiting her in North Carolina. And I said, you know, I've been engaged for a little over 60 years. And she laughed and she said, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, I found the Lord when I was five years old. And he says I'm his bride and he's gonna come back for me. So it's been a long engagement. And she said, yeah, it's been a long engagement. She said, it's a good thing they don't last that long in real life. <laughs> and I said, but Alice, this is real life. <laughs> this really is real life. It's a long engagement. But we are to take care of his bride. We are to take care of one another. And in taking care of the bride and taking care of each other, what a wonderful, wonderful privilege we have because the bridegroom will be so happy with us when he comes. In Psalms 139.16, the psalmist said, Thine eyes to see my substance, yet being imperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in countenance were fashioned, when as yet there were none of them. He knows you intimately, and he cares for you. He has a plan for us. Jeremiah 29:11 For I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to pr prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future We must remember that God wants all of us to have a healthy happy wholesome life He wants you to be blessed He wants us to have an abundant life and most of all he wants us to have eternal life with him in heaven. How do we get this kind of life? Well, we must believe and accept what Christ did for us on the cross. We must stay committed to Christ, read his word, get to know him, walk with him, talk with him. He said he would be closer than a brother. Why is it important to know as much as possible about God and commit our lives and our ways to him? Well, he will fight for you. Exodus 14, 14, Moses speaking, said, the Lord shall fight for you and ye shall hold your peace. This message is still relevant today. The Lord will still fight for us and in fact, he wants to fight for us because I can tell you there's not one person here today that is stronger than Satan. Satan is strong, but God is stronger. And because of that, we want God to fight our battles. We are in his thoughts. Psalms 139:17. How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. Now, the psalmist thought that he thought about him a whole lot. <laughs> I think he thinks about all of us a whole lot. We are ever on his mind.
He has you, your life, your struggles, your happiness, your mental, physical, emotional well-being is all in the mind of God. Your name is written in the palm of his hand. And when he's not thinking about you, he's looking at your name. He knows where you are every moment of every single day. He knows what we're doing. He knows how we feel. He knows what we're fighting. And he ever stands ready to help. We call upon God when we pray, and he will hearken unto us. The Bible teaches that when we ask, we shall receive. When we seek, we will find. And when we knock, the door shall be open. That is such a consolation for us to know that we can run to our Father anytime. And all we got to do is ask and knock and seek. And he's right there to help us. He has a plan from the moment we take our first breath, all the breaths in between, and our last breath. If we could be as much into him as he is into us, we would be the happiest, most hopeful, and most joyful people in the world. I'm afraid that so often he's kind of like an afterthought to people. And he's not there. He's not here. And he's not here. But he's kind of an afterthought. Oh, yeah, well, I think, yeah, I can pray about this. I've done everything else, so now I'll pray. He is our refuge. The psalmist David proclaimed in the wilderness of Judah, When I remember thee upon my bed, and I meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings, I will rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. Do we understand we have a father we can run to and find safety at all times? Unlike some natural fathers, he will never be too busy nor preoccupied to be our refuge if we need him. Why do we as spiritual children sometimes exhaust every means before we find, run to God? Well, there could be a multiplicity of reasons. Sometimes fear. If we know that we have failed him and we are not in our spiritual life where we should be, we're kind of afraid to approach him and ask him to help us when we know we haven't been doing what we should have been doing. And then there's shame. Sometimes people feel like they have been so bad that God cannot forgive them. But that's not true. He can forgive sin. He came into the world to forgive sin. The only thing that he cannot forgive is if we grieve the Holy Spirit. But everything else he can forgive. And then sometimes we have, a, we have not totally surrendered to him. And we know we haven't. And so we don't feel like we can approach him in times of trouble. And then there's sometimes that there's just unbelief. There's a lot of unbelief in the world. And then 
At other times, a lack of trust. We simply don't trust that he will help us. You know, sometimes when you're really praying, if you're very, very sick and you're praying and you've prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and you get on your knees and you start praying for the same thing again. It's hard to trust that it's going to happen because every time you go down on your knees and pray and come up, you're still in that same situation. And it's, it gets kind of hard to trust. So then we have to start praying and asking God to help us to trust and let him answer that prayer. We had a little 93-year-old lady at the Beaumont Seventh-day Adventist Church in Texas. Her name was Aunt Mary. I loved Aunt Mary. One day she began cooking a pot of soup. She looked in the fridge and saw all kinds of vegetables that she thought needed to be cooked. So she just decided to put them in the soup. She had to get out another great big pot to cook the soup because the little one wasn't big enough. And when she got all the vegetables and the water and everything in there, it was right up at the top, but it wasn't completely at the top, just a little bit. Well, when it started boiling, it was boiling over and water was all over the stove and it was running between the counter and the stove and it was dripping down on the floor and she reached in to stir and her arm burned and the spoon fell into the pot. <laughs> and she said, she was telling Dan and I and, and about six or seven other people that had come to help her eat her soup because she cooked too much. She only weighed 94 pounds. She couldn't eat a pot of soup that big, I can tell you. And she couldn't move it when it was boiling over. So, and she had an electric stove. And if you know anything about electricity, when you turn it down, it doesn't always immediately stop boiling like it does if you have gas. If you turn the gas off, it'll stop. But it didn't with this. And so she burnt her little arm and she said, I just stopped. She said, I stepped back and stood in the middle of the kitchen floor. And I looked up and I said, Father, look at what he's doing to me. Would you please tell him to stop it and to just get out of my house? And so she looked at us and smiled and she said, do you know what happened? And we all sat there and didn't say anything. And she said, that old devil just left. And everything was fine after he left the house. And she said, as of this moment, that was the next day, he has not been back. And so, you know, I must say that her simple childlike faith still worked for her. Children are wonderful people. They trust, they believe what you tell them, especially if you're mommy and daddy. They believe mom and dad. They make friends easily. If they get hurt playing, they will get up and keep on playing. They are forgiving. Children don't continually remind others of how they have been hurt by other children. If you are their friend, you are really their friend. They are truthful, sometimes to a fault. 
They will keep talking to other children that maybe does not like them so much, but they'll just keep talking to them and be friendly to them. They are accepting of other children. Now, is that not the way we should be more so as adults, especially as Christians? One of the best things about children, if they think or feel they have hurt you, especially mommy or daddy, they don't hesitate to come up and say, mommy, I'm sorry. I won't do that anymore. God calls us his children. <clears throat> he says, my little children, my little children. When he looks down here, he doesn't see all these college graduates. He doesn't see all of these doctors or these nurses or these people that are moms and dads. When he looks down, he's looking at his little children running all over the world. And he loves us so much because we are his children. If we could learn to love each other like God loves us, it would be a wonderful world. Maybe we should be more like children and less like adults in certain situations. You know, it takes a person, it takes so little, especially for a wife or husband or a child, it takes so little to make things right when things are going wrong. Sometimes a gentle touch, sometimes a soft word, sometimes you don't even have to speak or touch, just smile. And it's like, everything's okay. And I love that, that it takes so little. But it will take something if there's really, really dissension. One summer I worked at Falcon's Children's Home just off of I-95 going toward Wilson. And um, there were children from the ages of one to 14 years of age. Every day in the girls' dorm, they would talk about how wonderful their parents were, what they did and how they lived and everything. And after a few weeks, I went into the director's office and I asked him, could he tell me some things about these children? I had made a list of the ones that talked the most about their parents. And um, so he told me, he says, well, some of the people on this list, their parents are drug addicts, some are in prison, some are alcoholics, some are homeless, and live on the streets. But they all were deemed by the state of North Carolina as unfit parents because they were not taking care of their children. There were two little boys there. They were seven years old and they were twins. They had come to the orphanage to live when they were four years old. So they had been there three years. Their mother and dad lived five miles further up 95 going north. They owned a bar and the bar was open literally from five in the morning until midnight 
or one or two in the morning, just whenever people left. And they have a little room in the back, and they really didn't have room for the two boys. And, but some people would see them in the bar, and, and after so many times of seeing these two little boys running around in this bar and reporting it to the police, within the courts took their children away. But in three years, <clears throat> five miles down the road, <clears throat> these parents never once visited these little boys. Five miles, never visited those two little boys. These little boys were always talking about going home. Every time I was with them, and sometimes I had to go out and watch them play ball and make sure nobody got hurt. And they would say, my mommy and daddy's coming to get, get us today. And I say, oh, really? And one of the little girls said, they say that every day, that their mommy and daddy's coming to get them today. I realized these children made up stories about the parents they wanted and wished that they had in their mind. And I can tell you, it's sad. It is sad working with children who so desperately want a mom and a dad. It's so sad. But we are not like those children. We do not have to make up good things to say about our father. We, use any, we can use any positive word to describe our father, and we would be correct. He is loving, kind, giving, gentle, firm when needed, tender-hearted toward us. He believes in you and me. He loves you and me. He accepts us, and he will never leave us or forsake us. The Bible tells us he is always with us. He sees everywhere we go. He is, he is as Jesus prayed, like that mother hen when he was praying over Jerusalem after the resurrection. And he said, as a mother hen would gather her chicks under her wings. And you know what? That God, that's the way God is. That's the way our Father is. He's, he's like a mother hen who wants to gather us under his wings when the world gets cold and hard and when we are being attacked by the devil. Jesus wept that day because he knew Jerusalem was going to lose something. If they did not accept Christ, they were going to lose eternal salvation. And when it's all said and done, there will be weeping because so many people lost something. They lost eternal life. God wants to be first in our lives. There is not one person on one pew here in University Parkway Church that he does not want to be in heaven. He desires, his desire is that all should come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, his son. It is not his will that anyone should perish. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, speaking to the disciples after his resurrection, go ye therefore and teach all nations, teaching them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, 
teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. If Jesus could appear right here, right here on this podium, he would give the very same command today. Nothing has changed. He would say, go and reach out to the lost in Pensacola, Florida. With this attitude that every sinner we know or meet, he or she is a potential believer, not another sinner. That's the way Jesus looked at everyone. Every lost person he encountered, he saw them as a potential believer. And I tell you, that's what I do when I, you know, I'm not shy. And when I go into stores and I start talking about people and I start saying, you know, Jesus is so wonderful. I woke up this morning and I was thinking about him and how good he is to me. And sometimes they act like they're not listening to me, but I know. I know they're listening to me. And if they're not listening to me, I do something to kind of make them listen to me. <laughs> but anyway, I, uh, I get real personal. Like I tell them something very nice, but I kind of get close to them. And I like it when we're at the end of something and they can't move, you know, they can't run away from me. But I have never had anyone that I have done this to, to tell me that they were not glad that they met me. They always say, you know, I'm so glad I met you today. One lady said, you're kind of funny. And she says, you're, you don't, you're not like the typical pastor's wife. She said, you're so funny. And I said, well, my dad was such a mischievous, mischievous man. I mean, he was in his later years. And um, so I kind of inherited some of that from him, and I have to be real careful because it can get out of hand. <laughs> if he was standing up here and telling us this, he would then look at us and smile and say, after he told us to go out and witness all over Pensacola, Florida, he would say, fear not. I am with you, and I will be with you until the end of the world. You are my disciples. I want to read a devotion that Dr. Je David Jeremiah read to his congregation. And I just think it's just so appropriate in our time. And I hope that as you listen to this, that it will make you think like it really, really made me think when I heard it. Satan had a meeting with his demons and he told them, Jesus is coming back to get his bride. This is what we need to do. Our focus will be saints and sinners alike. Our goal will be to get the Christians to turn away from God and religion and for the sinner to never accept Christianity. So this is going to be our strategy. Keep them busy with secular work so they cannot work for God. Make them overspend so they cannot give to God. Make them work long hours so they cannot get up and go to church.
because they're tired. Take their family time away so they will not train up their children in the way they should go. Overstimulate their minds with music, TV, social media, action movies, anything to take their minds off of God and his word. Put newspapers, magazines, all kinds of secular books in their hands so they will not have time to meditate on God and his word. Help them to get really good paying jobs so they do not have to pray unto God for their needs. Make them covetous and greedy. Put glamorous models, handsome men on TV, beauty products of all kinds, so they will feel they are unworthy, unpresentable, and inferior. Make couples too exhausted to enjoy each other, nor their children, so they will have no joy and their lives will become rote and mundane. Let Santa and the Easter Bunny take over their attention away from the birth of Jesus and his resurrection. Get them involved in good works, good causes, so they believe this will get them to heaven instead of confession of sins and accepting Jesus as their savior. Give them everything they and their children want so they will give glory to themselves and their things. Make them proud, boastful, uncaring, unsharing. Make them look down on those less fortunate. Have no compassion, offer no help. Make them depressed, lonely, anxious, fearful, worried. Make them feel no one cares, not even Jesus. If we are successful, we will win the battle for millions and millions of souls. Don't you believe as individuals and as a church, it is time for us to rise up and shine? Our weekly podcasts are recorded every Saturday morning. Bible study begins at 9.30. The sermon begins at 11. You are invited to join us. We live stream the 11 o'clock service. You can catch that broadcast at our website, universitypkwy.org, or at Livestream. A library of previous messages is available on our YouTube channel and on our website, University Parkway Seventh-day Adventist Church in Pensacola, Florida. Thank you for listening.